0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthew.3cr.org.au.
1: Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week, we feature resistance by the Palestinian people against the occupying Israeli settler colony, and the struggle against mandatory detention of asylum seekers. We hear first from Palestinian educator, activist and writer, Nora Mansour. Later in the program, we hear from Tasnim Samak. Palestinian organizer and PhD candidate in education, speaking at Campaign Against Racism and Fascism's recent pro-refugee rally. Palestinians in occupied Jerusalem, the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, have been fighting back against escalated forced ethnic displacement by the Israeli state and settlers. Scenes of violence by Israeli forces at the Al-Aqsa mosque in the holy month of Ramadan to now deadly bombings of Gaza has garnered international outrage and solidarity. Now let's hear from Nora Mansour introducing herself.
0: Yes, thanks uh, for inviting me. Um, my name is Nora Mansour and I'm a Palestinian from Akka. Um, I'm an educator um, and an activist and a writer and a mother of two um, uh, little
1: boys. Awesome. Thanks for that. And thanks so much for joining me at short notice on Community Radio. Um, before we go on to the horrifying recent events, would you like to tell our listeners yeah, about another horrifying event in 1948, the May 15th Nakba, otherwise known as the catastrophe, where over 700,000 Palestinians were violently forced out of their homelands with the beginnings of the Israeli, Israeli Occupy a state.
0: Sure. So this weekend, the, Palestinian are, the Palestinians are commemorating the 73rd anniversary or commemoration of the Nakba. Nakba translates um, in English to catastrophe, and that is referred to the establishment of the Israeli state and the destruction of the Palestinian society and, and people in back in 1948. Um, so that is, in a nutshell, the Nakba. Um, sadly, the Nakba is not an isolated event, and it's not a historical event. It's a, it is, it is an ongoing process uh, that uh, has been occurring uh, for the last uh, over 100 years, actually. Um, the Nakba is one one way uh, in which the settler colonial project, uh, the Zionist settler colonial project, manifests. Um, through um, the occupation and dispossession of over 75 percent of the Palestinian people, the expulsion and forceful eviction of people from their homes back in 1948, but also as a continuous uh, policy of the Israeli government, um, as we see most recently reflected in the Sheikh Jarrah case.
1: Yes, yes, we'll move on to recent weeks and the resistance. So we're seen terrifying, escalating Occupy violence by Israeli settlers and the state inflicted on Palestinians in occupied East Jerusalem to Gaza, notably also occurring in Ramadan, and ongoing resistance by Palestinians. Would you like to talk a bit about recent events for listeners who may not know much, including the movement to save Sheikh Jarrah, and describe what the feeling is like in Palestinian communities at the moment?
0: Sure. So currently what's happening is that um, um, in in Sheikh Jarrah, people who live there are Sheikh Jarrah, a neighborhood in Jerusalem, and people who live there are internally displaced people. So we are talking about people who lost their homes in 1948 and became refugees Mm -hmm. due to the um, establishment of the Israeli state um, and and, um, Zionist uh, militia hostilities. And now they are facing an imminent uh, expulsion and eviction from their homes for the second time. Um, as, as I said, there, this is a part of a bigger trend. Um, and and uh, people in Sheikh Jarrah, not only in Sheikh Jarrah in Jerusalem, but also in other neighborhoods like Silwan, are targeted by Israeli expansionist policies. Now, w- what is happening uh, on the Palestinian front is that the Palestinians in, in Jerusalem uh, have organized so that they uh, can resist these um, acts, um, and there's been a popular peaceful uh, protest in Jerusalem uh, and clashes uh, because due to uh, state-sanctioned violence from the Israeli government, there's been some clashes between uh, the Palestinian protesters who are obviously unarmed um, and uh, they're there um, they're to protect their houses with their own bodies. Um, and on the, on the other side, you have heavily armed um Israeli uh, snipers who were placed uh, for instance on the top of the um, uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque uh during uh, prayer times in a Ramadan month where uh, the Muslims um fast and uh, um, uh practice um the the Islamic faith uh, during Al-Aqsa so um which means that the the presence of worshippers during the month of ramadan is is very um massive um and people obviously when they attend the mosque they attend it so that they can um be spiritual and they can pray uh and um not be targeted by snipers uh rubber bullet uh stun grenades and and all of the other um, oppressive tools that the israeli army uses
1: Mm. Yes, and this comes um, during a pandemic where, yeah, would you like to talk about how the pandemic has affected Palestinians in terms of if restrictions have been weaponized against Palestinians?
0: Yes, of course, this comes during a global pandemic, um, which currently Israel has been successful in um, uh, uh, just demonstrating uh, how uh, efficient its apartheid and discriminatory system um, has been, that even uh, throughout a, a global pandemic, it is still able to discriminate uh, against people with a vaccination policy. So it's, it's, um, it has vaccinated its own citizens, but it has been preventing um, the um, Palestinians from actually having proper um, process in place. Uh, so that they can uh, be provided with vaccinations in the West Bank, but also in Gaza.
1: Yes, that's very concerning, vaccine apartheid there. Um, Yeah, so moving towards solidarity and struggle um, internationally, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Movement, or BDS Movement, is a Palestinian civil society movement that since 2005 has called for the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions of Apartheid Israel modelled on the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. Would you like to talk about the goals of BDS and what it means in Australia, which has close ties to Israel?
0: Sure. So the BDS movement is um, a peaceful uh, grassroots uh, movement. It's a nonviolent movement, uh, an nonviolent call that was issued by grassroots organisations back um, in Palestine. And it's basically, it, it, it asks that people around the world uh, put pressure on Israel so that it complies with international law and ends its uh, um, continuous violation of Palestinian, Palestinian human rights. Um, so the BDS, uh, is a t- as a tool by itself, is as you mentioned yourself, is inspired by the struggle, uh, about, by the anti-apartheid struggle in South, in South Africa. Um, it simply asks people to be conscious consumers And not to be complicit, and that is something that anyone can actually uh, do without having to um, uh, to, to, without having to be asked for too much. So whenever you know you're uh, out shopping, just mind the products, look at the products, and check whether your products um, are uh, basically not made on not not been um, manufactured on on settlements and uh, do not contribute to the ongoing oppression of the Palestinian people. Women on the Line.
1: Yes, and there's lots of information at BDS Australia that listeners can go and have a look at there. Um, And it does include from products manufactured by corporations um, that are listed there it also goes to arms, ma- arms manufacturers, including Albert Systems. So it is yes, quite that, extensive, the relationship between Australia and Israel.
0: Yes, that is correct. Um, well, the fact is that Israel um, it can't be this successful without the support that it receives from international corporations and, and, and international governments around the world. So, um, and one of the uh, companies that is highly complicit, obviously, um, uh, on uh, with the um, ongoing oppression of the Palestinians, is Elbit System, the arms manufacturers, which sadly also um, uh, the, the Australian government um, works with. So, yeah.
1: Mm, yeah, and newly announced this year, there was the partnership with with the Victorian government as well, which is very concerning.
0: That is correct, that is correct. There's been partnerships with the Victorian government um, and, and that is uh, something that is highly problematic from a Palestinian point of view, obviously, or from a human rights point of view.
1: Mm. How do you see the Palestinian struggle linked to other struggles, including the struggle for land and justice for Aboriginal people here in Australia?
0: So I, I, I see that as a parallel struggle because um, th- the way in which settler colonial states operate is very similar, right? whether it's 200 years ago or um, today, uh, 200 years ago, obviously here in in Australia, um, today, as we see in Palestine, and that is based on the logic of elimination and removal of indigenous population from their own land. Um, and, And that logic exists obviously, or existed here in Australia and exists today in Palestine. So I, I see uh, the struggle for justice um, as something that is um, uh, intertwined, that is connected, and uh, you know because you don't have to be a Palestinian um, to demand justice or to believe in justice. Justice, freedom, and equality is uh, you know they're global values that relate to any human being. So, um, but specifically in a settler colonial context, I think the similarity and the parallels are. Uh, very strong, and um, it, it's it's it would be um, very smart to learn from each other, but also support each other's um, causes.
1: Mm, thanks for that, definitely. Um, to end on, is there anything else you'd like to add, and what would a free Palestine look to you look like to you?
0: Yes, I would like to add that it's important for us to keep in mind that this this whole situation. That we're in today in Palestine did not start with Gaza. It doesn't start with Hamas. It doesn't start with Hamas rockets, and it didn't start with the protest uh, in Sheikh Jarrah. It doesn't start, um, or it didn't. It didn't start in 1967 uh, with the invasion and the um, occupation of Jerusalem and the West Bank. Um, it didn't even start in 1948 in the Nakba. It started with the um, very first uh, Jewish colony. Uh, that is the very first issue as it's called in Hebrew and that is because our issue with Israel is the fact that it is a colonial settler colonial state um, it's not just because um, it, there's a siege on Gaza obviously it, it is a major one of the major issues that we have because Gaza as, uh, as described as one of the largest uh, concentration camps and an open-air prisons, um, currently today uh, where you have two million people living under inhumane condition uh, um, for the last uh, almost 13 years. Um, continuously being targeted by Israeli military every couple of years uh, and, and uh, with no end in sight. No one knows when the siege is supposed to be uh, lifted. No one knows when the Palestinians in Gaza will be able to live uh, normal life anymore. So, um, um that is obviously a major issue, and that's is something that should concern not only Palestinians but everyone who uh, um, is a human rights um, activist or anyone who believes in uh, just you know human rights values and global values. So, yes, of course, Gaza is a major uh, issue, Jerusalem and um, um, the occupation in the West Bank and the apartheid system is a major issue. Um, the uh, uh, two-tier system that we have that Israel has created, and whether throughout the judicial system or the uh, legislative system, for instance, in 1948, where you have, um, uh, like, Palestinians in 1948 who live as second-class citizens and who um, are under the threat of, uh, um, you know, uh, being basically a target to not just uh, the violence, state violence, but also... Uh, settler settlers' violence as well. Same in the West Bank and in Jerusalem. So we are talking about a system that dates back uh, to before 1948 um, and that 1948, the Nakba, is basically when it accelerated its settler colonial project. So um, it is important to keep in mind that unless we address the root cause of the problem here, which is the Israeli... Ongoing expansionist policies and a discriminatory systems and structures that it has created, uh, there won't be an end in sight. So it is important that the international community and people who have actually been involved in the creation uh, of the Israeli state, for instance, the United Nations uh, and other international organizations, it is important that these people uh, um, do their part at this stage and to hold Israel accountable for its violations and ongoing. Um, uh, aggression towards Palestinians.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for joining me, Nora. Um, It's been a privilege to speak to you.
0: No worries. Thank you very much. Um, You have a lovely day, Iris.
1: You just heard from Palestinian educator, activist, and writer Nora Mansour. On the weekend of the Nakba, May 15, there are rallies in Solidarity of Palestine in many cities in so-called Australia. Check them out and the groups that are organizing for more information. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you have been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Next, we connect the struggle against the Israeli occupation of Palestine with the struggle of refugees to end mandatory detention. We hear from Tasnium Samak, a Palestinian organizer and PhD candidate in education, speaking against the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism's Rally Against Mandatory Detention of Refugees, held in Melbourne on May 8.
2: Thanks for inviting me to speak at this important demonstration today in the fight to end mandatory indefinite detention of refugees. I'm not considered a refugee in Australian terms, but my parents migrated to New Zealand in 1997 to secure citizenship. That's considered a bad refugee narrative, but it's what's most true, and there's no need to sanitize why it is that asylum seekers come to Western countries. My father, and therefore all of his children, including myself, are considered stateless Palestinians. His family is from Yaffa, a colonised city known as Tel Aviv in the illegal state of Israel. My grandparents were exiled to Gaza where they lived in a refugee camp for almost 20 years until in 1967 that they were exiled again when Gaza was occupied by Israel. They were exiled to Jordan alongside thousands of other Palestinian families into another refugee camp, this time in Amman. At first, my father tells me that they lived in non-permanent tents and fixtures because they were anticipating returning to Palestine. They were served by the UNERWA or the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. They could only attend UNERWA schools and medical facilities. After a while, The tents were permitted by the Jordanian government to change into tin roofs and then they were allowed to build bricks and the refugee camps became a permanent urban refugee camp where some of my family lives today and where I spent some of my childhood. Even though their status as stateless became permanent, Palestinians are still on temporary visas in Jordan and are still restricted in their rights to work and own land Shame. Shame. I tell you these details because they are relevant to contextualising the issue of, of refugee struggle that needs to be international Australia's inhumane mandatory detention resembles and designed for refugees resembles what the international community allowed and designed for refugees in the global south They also resemble the colonial prisons erected to suppress and contain First Nations people. Today, Palestinians are only one refugee population, among many others fleeing state violence, crimes against humanity, and acts of genocide. The international community continues to turn its back on victims of state atrocities. Firstly, by failing to work towards a political solution that would ensure refugees are able to return to their liberated homelands and live in safety and secondly refugees are failed by draconian anti-refugee policies. we see this most in the status of Afghan and Syrian refugees today who are being deported by European states such as Denmark that is deporting Syrians who have already been granted citizenship shame, shame yes living. And working in Denmark, apparently, they can be deported through the assessment that Syria is now safe, despite the Assad regime's grip on power and his totalitarianism. It's unfathomable that European refugees would be treated in this way and stripped of citizenship. But that tells us that citizenship is conditional to the rest. From fortress Europe to Australia's mandatory detention regime, refugees are turned away, caged and assaulted by Western so-called democratic states, an incredible shame and an indictment of the international community. For Palestinians, our demands and expectations are not that different from other refugee groups. We struggle for liberation and freedom. That is the first demand That is the demand we have as Palestinians in Jerusalem are being evicted as we speak from their neighbourhoods by Israeli settlers who are taking over their homes. Unfortunately, much of refugee advocacy erases the political will of refugees as though the plight of refugees is a single issue one regarding processing us as citizens. As though refugees are passive victims of Australian violence, as though the violence they are fleeing is irrelevant to the conversation and is an aberration to the violence they are met with when they arrive to the shores of this settler colonial state. For this, the work of RISE has paved the way in terms of discourse. Granting citizenship to all asylum seekers is the minimum obligation that should not require advocacy or conversation. First Nations people whose sovereignty has never been ceded have already granted asylum and have welcomed all refugees yet their leadership is not what is enshrined instead of bringing refugees into the community this white, liberal, capitalist nation has decided to lock up asylum seekers torture them and make them out to be terrorists and thug boogeyman that require a militarised, profitable border regime. Shame! Okay. It's no coincidence that after the end of the White Australia policy, Australian governments have decided to gain legitimacy through institutionalised xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Asian racism and anti-blackness in the introduction of powered border policies. Racism that drove an Australian to massacre Muslims in two mosques in Christchurch in the name of anti-immigration this is often erased from that narrative of white supremacist violence, of course. The question that I have is how this policy even became law? How it became materialised in mandatory detention, then offshore detention? How did Australians allow it? And how is it continuing? This is a question Australians need to ask themselves in relation to Indigenous deaths in custody as well. Another regime of torture and murder. How have we had seven deaths in custody in the last month with little uproar, little political upheaval? Deaths in custody and deaths in immigration custody. How is it that after deaths and suicides, we continue to keep refugees in detention facilities? And I do not just discuss Medivac refugees, but rather all those who are in Australian detention at the moment mandatory detention is a stain not just on both major parties who designed it but on every australian who is supposedly being protected in its name this border regime is done to protect the white liberal nation who votes for it that we are near 20 years into australia's mandatory detention system as an indictment of progressives and conservatives alike given the little of given that if opposition was fierce enough and relentless enough, we would not be marking two decades of permanent immigration detention. We are too afraid and caught in routines that the state anticipates. The state knows it knows, and it plans for the fact that immigration mandatory detention will upset leftists and ethnics, but governments have gambled with it anyway, expecting little disruption. As a Palestinian Muslim, all I can offer is to urge for the fight to continue, not in cycles of outrage and condescending sympathies to the plight of refugees, but towards organized struggle with refugee communities against oppression. Because our work is overdue. Refugee camps, refugee detention facilities should not become permanent places for anyone. We need to make it impossible for immigration detention to be feasible. This movement needs to be fearless in the face of whatever danger comes its way in the goal of ending mandatory detention. The, The Rise Student Walkout that happened just on Wednesday is one approach that we all should be behind. We need to be relentless in the fight that will see an end to the locking up of refugees, that will bring an end to colonial, racist, white supremacist structures that birth and sustain such cool policies, that will bring an end to dispossession and exile in the first place. Thank you.
1: You just heard from Tasneem Samak, a Palestinian organiser and PhD candidate in education speaking at the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism's Rally Against Mandatory Detention of Refugees, held in Melbourne on May 8th. She spoke of a refugee-led organisation, Rise Refugee, which you can find out more about at riserefugee.org. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne on Kulin Nation's land and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au was produced by I'm Iris Lee. Tune into the Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.